We're ready to get started. Everybody can just have a seat. We'll get going. So this morning, we're beginning our, our kind of second core seminar series for the summer. We looked at apologetics for the past seven, eight weeks or so, and now we're jumping into Christianity in the workplace or Christians in the workplace. So I think this is a, obviously an extremely relevant topic. Uh, many of us spend many, many, many hours at work, uh, whether it's through paid employment or there's some ladies who stay at home, and, and that's a vocation as well. And so uh, no matter what we're doing, we're, we're spending time in work. So just a few stats here to kind of start us out. The Department of Labor in the United States uh, says that the average American worker spends 47 hours a week at work. That's just kind of average. 20% of American workers spend at least 60 hours a week at work. Uh, so the average American spends 2,000 hours a year. And if you calculate that, do the math on a 40-year career, which is probably around average, uh, you're looking at over 80,000 hours of your life is spent at work. So when I looked at that, I have to admit that was a little depressing. But uh, that is the world we live in, and that's uh, what many of us are, are going to be doing. We're going to spend a lot of our lives at work. We even probably spend more time with our work colleagues than we do our families in many instances. So this is something that is central to our lives. And as Christians, we really have to ask this fundamental question, why do I work? Okay, that's a, how does, how does work fit into my life as a, as a believer? And so that's really what we're going to be looking at over the next six Sundays. So before we dive into this morning, I just kind of want to give you a brief overview on where we'll be going the next six weeks. Uh, we're going to start out this week by just talking about the general, broader doctrine of vocation or calling. And then next week, we're going to really jump in to the specific calling of paid employment or what we do in the workplace. So we're going to spend the next four weeks on that. In the second lecture, we're going to consider the purpose in danger of employment. In the third week, we're going to talk about how redemption impacts our employment. Uh, after that, we're going to talk about how the Bible calls you to choose a job, what that looks like in your life. And then in the fifth week, we're going to talk about how we live as Christians in the workplace. Uh, what, what should that look like? And then in week six, we're going to circle back around and we're going to consider how all of our vocations, and all of us have multiple vocations in our life, how those fit together. And we're going to answer questions you might have about balance. We often hear people talk about balance in this world. And really, we're going to kind of conclude that the Christian life isn't necessarily meant to be a balanced life, at least not by the world's standards. So we'll talk a lot more about that as we go and in week six. So this morning, we're going to talk about calling. And two topics we're really going to dive into this morning is we're going to talk about our general calling, our, our primary callings, and then we're going to talk about particular or secondary callings, and then we're going to discuss how the doctrine of calling has really been distorted over the years in the church, and how this has led to confusion for a lot of us, and also uh, it's, it's left us without guidance on why we work, or how we work, or how we choose a job. So uh, those are the two points we're really going to dig into this morning. So before we get going 
uh, too far. I just want to define some terms for us. Uh, there's a Greek word in your handout there, uh, which we see in chapter 8 uh, of Romans in verse 30. It's a Greek word that's translated to called in the English language. So I just want to read that verse for you. In those he predestined, he also called. In those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So in this verse, we see calling in its most comprehensive sense. This is the calling of God on those he predestined for glory. This is the calling of God bringing all of his children to himself. And we get the same, uh, the same word, we get the word vocation, the English word vocation, simply comes from the Latin translation of that same word we see in verse 30. The Latin word is vocara, and uh, so we can really think of the word vocation and calling as synonyms. So they're the same word, just a different language of origin. So, just defining some terms there. So what is our calling according to Scripture? What does Scripture tell us about our purpose in this world? Let's jump into primary calling here. Let's talk about that. Os Guinness uh, has a really good working definition of what our primary calling in this life is. Uh, He talks about this in his book, The Call. This is what he says. Our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. So we are called by Christ, to Christ, and for Christ. We see this throughout Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14 explains that we are called by Christ. He called you to this salvation through our gospel, so that you may possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are called by Him. Romans 1, 6 shows that we are called to Him. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we are called to Christ. And finally, we are called for him. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are called for Christ as well. So this is the calling For all of us who profess faith in Christ, all of us who have placed our faith in Christ, for all believers, our primary calling is by Christ, to Christ, that we might do good work for Christ. It's a call to discipleship. It's a call to knowing and living in Him. It's our primary calling both because it happened first, it precedes all other callings in our lives, and also because it supersedes all other callings in our lives. Scripture tells us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we seek first Christ, and then everything else comes after and overflows from that. So that's our primary calling. Let's talk about secondary callings. Uh, Guinness has another uh, definition for us for secondary callings, and he writes, our secondary callings, considering who God is as sovereign, is that everyone, everywhere, and in everything should think, speak, live, and act entirely for Him. They are our personal answer to God's address, our response to God's summons. So we see this in Scripture as well, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
So our secondary callings are, very generalized, whatever you do. That's our secondary calling. So if you're a mother, work at it with all your heart as if you are working for the Lord. If you're a student, study with all your heart as if you are studying for the Lord. If you're a teacher, teach with all your heart as if you are teaching for the Lord. If you're retired, if you're unemployed, if you're a pastor, if you're a husband, it goes on and on and on. This permeates every aspect of our lives. And we often talk about here at Christ Community Church, you're not just a Christian on Sunday morning. Christianity, Christ, calls us to himself at all times and in all things. And so it's not just for Sunday morning, it's for all hours of every day of your entire life. And so that's our secondary calling. So I really think it's helpful for us to look at our secondary callings uh, through the lens of Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, Jesus gives us what is described as the great commandment. All you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with this, but Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we bring glory to God in this life? Love God, love your neighbor. Simple stuff, right? In theory, sounds pretty simple. In real life, can be very tough, very difficult. So how do we love God through our secondary callings? How do we love God in the way we live our lives? You know, we, we really... As Christians, sometimes we try to uh, put things in boxes. We want to say that this thing over here is a spiritual thing, and I'm loving God through this, maybe by leading worship or, or leading a home group. That's my spiritual box. And then we want to put our other things over here in a secular box, work, parenthood, uh, all these other things, and, and we want to kind of pigeonhole things, but that's not what we're called to. And so we, we really don't think about things that way. And more specifically, we're going to be talking about work over the next six weeks. How do, we talk, how do we love God through our work? And I think the answer is, one of the answers is, by working as if we were working for him. This is what we see in Scripture. Uh, that's what Scripture tells us. You know, we see work often as drudgery, as this thing we don't want to get out of bed to go do. We don't uh, maybe like our boss or our, our work colleagues bother us, uh, but that's not, that's not the attitude that we're called to as believers. That's not what Scripture calls us to. God calls us to work cheerfully and with excellence, no matter how insignificant you think your job may be. Maybe you think you're stuck in a job that, you know, this is just a stepping stone to something greater, and what I'm doing here isn't that significant. No, that's not, that's not what God tells us. That's not what Scripture tells us. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. We love God when we work with all our hearts. So if the Lord was your boss, how would you work? I think this is a really simple thing that we can keep in the back of our mind when we go into the workplace. If the Lord was my boss, if the Lord was my client, if the Lord was my patient, how would I work? Wouldn't you always use the right tool for the right job? Wouldn't you always take an extra moment to make sure 
that that line is straight or that your report is correct, that your report is on time? Would you ever hand in a document with errors that you knew existed? Would you ever be tardy? Would you ever just surf the internet against your boss's wishes? Would you ever leave the dishes in your sink for your wife to do when you have time to do them? That's a tough one, right, for us guys? (laughs) Would you ever search Facebook instead of spending quality time with your kids? You know, these are things that kind of hit us uh, at home, come home to us. So if we were to truly work with all our hearts as if we were working for the Lord, our work is going to look different. And I I really just kind of like to encapsulate this idea with one word, and I think it's one word, again, that we can keep at the forefront of our minds as believers, and that word is excellence. This is a really important thing for us to, to hear and listen to and, and acknowledge. There's sometimes this idea amongst Christians that this world is falling away, it's sinful, which is a true. It is falling away, it is sinful, it is broken. But there's this idea that we just leave the world and, and just let it rot. And, and that, that we don't need to cultivate things, that we don't need to do things well. And I'm sure all of you have been around people who have professed Christ, but have been horrible workers. That's a horrible, horrible, horrible witness. I mean, you can be very vocal about your faith, but if somebody's ha- always having to come behind you, clean up your sloppy work, if, if you're the person that your boss is always just, man, I've got to deal with that person every day. They're late. They don't listen to anything I say. If you are that person, who's going to want to listen to you? Who's going to want to follow you? Who's going to want to know your God? So we, our work is a witness, and a, a poor work is a horrible witness. So as Christians, we want, this is what you want to be said about you as a believer. Go to this guy or this girl because they're going to do it the right way. They're going to do it well. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. But you're, that's going to be the character of your work. You do it well. You do it with excellence. You strive for the best. It's an important thing for us to see. The Lord deserves no less. The Bible calls us to this standard. You are working for Christ. Ecclesiastes 9.10 challenges us to excellence like this. It says, uh, this scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Simple thing. These are things your mom and dad probably told you. So we love the Lord through our secondary callings when we perform them with excellence as if we were working for the Lord. So how do we love our neighbor through our work? How do we love our neighbor through all of our vocations, our secondary callings? You know, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So how does God do that? You know, he doesn't rain down manna from heaven anymore. He did that once. He doesn't work that way in this age. So how does he provide us with our daily bread? And I think it's this. I think God gives us our daily bread through the work of others, which he has called them to. God calls the farmer to farm. He calls the miller to mill. He calls the baker to bake, the truck driver to deliver, the shopkeeper to stock, the nurse to take care of her patient. And he calls us to purchase, to participate, to prepare things. These are all secondary callings by which God, through his providence, causes us to love and provide for our neighbors. 
So God gives each specific person a set of talents that are to be used to love our neighbors. It's going to look different for all of us. Here's the thing we need to see. Any lawful occupation is worthwhile, and it fits into God's providential care for his people and his creation. All lawful occupations, no matter how small or insignificant you think they may be, have dignity before the Lord. Things that the the world tells you is an awful, horrible job, you don't want to do it. If it's a lawful occupation, it has dignity before the Lord, and it is useful to him. Martin Luther wrote, The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household task, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Now, I think that quote is a really encouraging thing. We have a lot of ladies in here who stay at home with their kids. This is a tough job. You don't get paid for it. You don't get a lot of recognition. The world tells you that uh, you're falling behind the times and that your sacrifice isn't worth it. But what Martin Luther here is pointing out is that if you're doing that work through faith, God says differently. God says there is inherent value in that. There is eternal value in that work. It can honor God. It can glorify God as much as any other occupation. William Perkins, the English reformer, wrote, The action of a shepherd in keeping sheep, performed as I have said in his kind, is as good a work before God as is the action of a judge in giving sentence, or of a magistrate in ruling, or a minister in preaching. So there's value in all of our secondary callings, no matter how mundane they seem to be. I really want us to see that. But the the other thing, the flip side of that, the thing that we need to see, it's important to note that value is found in our secondary callings as they line up with God's purposes, not our own. And this should humble us. So this this causes us to not be self-satisfied in our education, in our training, in our success. We must realize that our sovereign Lord has equipped us for our particular callings to please Him, to love our neighbors through our work. In fact, Scripture tells us that He prepared these good works in advance for us. We saw that earlier. So if you work only for yourself or only for your boss or only for your clients or employees or only for your bank account, you're missing the point of your secondary calling. You're called to what you do for God's purposes and for his pleasure. All right, so let's move on to, we've talked about our callings. Let's just move on and talk about some of the distortions that we see in the doctrine of calling. So, this has been a difficult thing through the church, for the church, throughout the years historically, and there's been some challenges. You know, one challenge is that we have to keep these two categories of calling in the right order. So, primary calling first, secondary calling second. The second challenge is is that we have to keep these two categories together. They're not meant to be separated. Our primary calling leads into our secondary calling. So, the church has failed uh, often at times uh, in this area, in this doctrine, and it's really led to two great distortions, which are called uh, the Catholic distortion and the Protestant distortion. Just These are generalized terms. It doesn't mean that every Catholic believes this and every Protestant believes this. This is just a generalized term. So, 
The Catholic distortion is called Catholic because it arose in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and this distortion fails the first challenge of distinguishing call it, ca- callings, which is making sure that the primary calling comes before the secondary. So, instead of really considering these callings in order, Rome just separated these completely and believed that some were called to the primary calling of ministry and that others were called uh, to more of a calling of works, kind of, kind of a common type of calling. So you have Esabus, one of the early church leaders, that wrote that there are two ways of life in the church, the perfect life and the permitted life. The perfect life was spiritual and was reserved for priests and monks and nuns. The permitted life was secular and was reserved for maids, common workers, soldiers, even rulers. So this distortion affected other church leaders uh, like Augustine and Aquinas who were great uh, Christian leaders, but they elevated the contemplative life over the active life. The active life was viewed as kind of a second-class life. The contemplative life was a preferred life. It was a life of freedom. But really, if we think about this, this view isn't biblical at all. All we have to do is look at the account of creation. And we can see that God had secondary callings uh, before the fall for Adam and Eve. God called Adam and Eve to marriage. He called them to parenthood in 128, to collection of food from the bounty of creation in 129, and stewardship of all creation in 215. So these were all pre-fall directives, and these were all secondary callings. Of course, the fall resulted in these callings becoming corrupted, but that doesn't mean that they're inherently corrupted in themselves. So we call this a Catholic distortion, but it's also permeated uh, Protestants, other Christians as well. Uh, A good example of this is William Wilberforce. Uh, You guys, some of you might have read his biography. He was a member of the English Parliament, and he was a great leader, a great Christian man, whose work really led to the abolition of the slave trade. He kind of did this almost single-handedly and uh, was persecuted a lot for it, but uh, his work uh, created the Slave Trade Act of 1817, which abolished slavery, abolished the slave trade in England. But when he was first converted at the age of 25, his first thought was to leave his political post for paid ministry. And we often see that uh, in this age as well. Uh, people will come to faith, and their first thought is, I need to do the most spiritual job, so I'm going to go into paid ministry. But we're not all called to that. This is kind of what Wilberforce believed, but thankfully there's this guy, John Newton. You might have heard of him. He wrote Amazing Grace. He was Wilberforce's friend, and he persuaded him to stay in his post in politics. So in 1788, Wilberforce wrote in his journal, He wrote this. He said, My walk is a public one. My business is in the world, and I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post which providence seems to have assigned me. So if Wilberforce had left politics, if he would have quit the post, so to say, he would have missed God's opportunity for him to lead the abolition of the great evil in slavery. So our callings, the thing we need to see is that our callings aren't divided, like I've said, into this spiritual box, in a secular box. The callings of a believer are all spiritual. A secondary calling to be a priest or a pastor is not inherently superior to a secondary calling to be a dishwasher. 
William Tyndale wrote that if our desire is to please God, pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, and preaching the word is all one. And Luther once wrote, God and the angels smile when a man changes a diaper. That's a good thing to know, guys, right? Especially when you've changed a a few hundred. So I'm not suggesting that paid ministry isn't a worthy calling. I'm not suggesting that Jared didn't pursue ministry uh, and that 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 wasn't his calling and that it's not a worthy one. But what I am saying is that if a man is called to ministry as his paid occupation, it's a great and sober task with eternal awards. But a lot of people are not called to ministry. A lot of Christians are not called to ministry, paid ministry. We're all called to ministry. We're not all called to paid ministry. And so if you are not, you shouldn't view your actual calling with regret. You shouldn't consider it second rate. You shouldn't consider it secular. The thing we need to see is that as believers, our primary calling that we talked about is to salvation, is to discipleship, and everything else should flow naturally out of that into our secondary callings, whether it's the paid ministry or whether it's motherhood. Okay, so that's the Catholic distortion. Let's talk about the Protestant distortion. Um, So the Catholic distortion is more of a spiritual form of dualism. It elevates the spiritual at the expense of the secular. The Protestant distortion is the opposite of that. It elevates the, the uh, secular at the expense of the spiritual. So the early Puritans who kind of came to America and were some of the founding fathers of our nation, um, they really had a clear understanding of this doctrine. They didn't struggle with this that much. They they. They were pretty good. Um, But as time went on in our nation and in the Western world, this slowly began to erode away. And the celebration of spirituality of secondary callings became imbalanced. We started to use words like work, trade, employment, and occupation. And all of these words kind of came to have the same meaning as calling and vocation. So Oz Guinness, Guinness puts it well when he writes, Eventually the day came when faith and calling were separated completely. The original demand that each Christian should have a calling was boiled down to the demand that each citizen should have a job. So what we have is work itself becoming this sacred uh, thing. And we even, uh, President Calvin Coolidge uh, once declared, the man who builds a factory builds a temple. The man who works there worships there. So he's kind of putting the industrial complex in the place of God. Henry Ford said, work is the salvation of the human race, morally, physically, and socially. So Henry Ford, putting work in the place of Christ. So this is something we struggle with big time in the United States. This is something we struggle with today. I find that guys especially struggle with this. Women can too, but guys, we just seem to especially struggle with this. Um. We, we sometimes we have big problems when, when we have a collision in our life between our, our secondary callings and our primary callings. So we, we, just don't, we, we sometimes don't see things in the right priority, and that can cause a crisis in our life. If we're a guy and, or, or a girl who really has put our job in the place of God, 
when we're unemployed or when we're underemployed or when we're unsuccessfully employed, we face this big life crisis. But there's a way forward. There's a way out of this. And I think, like I've said, it's keeping that primary calling uh, in order. Uh, we're not called to a job. We're not called to go somewhere. We're called to someone. That's our primary calling. We're called to our Creator God. Our first vocation is our primary calling of salvation and discipleship as a new creation in Christ. The primary call requires us to be devoted to no one more than God, to desire nothing more than God, to glorify nothing but God, to enjoy nothing beyond God. So, as we wrap up this morning, as I've said, we need to understand that all believers are primarily called to salvation. We're primarily called to discipleship as new creatures in, new creatures in Christ. And that God's work and His primary calling, it's going to spill over to our secondary callings. So, our secondary callings are basically this personal response to this primary call. It's the way in which we use our own skills, talents, and gifts as his workmanship. It's the way that we put our work uh, forward to love God and to love our neighbors. Above all, we need to strive to obtain Christ-centered focus for your work because only in Christ will we be able to satisfactorily answer the question, why do I work? So let's just pray. Father, I thank you for being able to gather here this morning. I thank you that you have given us vocations. I thank you that, that uh, we don't have to be defined by our work, but that you have called us to work for you, to strive for excellence. Lord, I just ask that you will help us keep our primary calling at the center of our lives, the call by you, to you, and for you. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to serve you in all that we do as we go out in this world and serve our families, as we serve our work colleagues, as we serve our, our patients and our uh, customers. Help us to do it well, to honor you through that. In your name we pray. Amen.